Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. And it's great to see Full to keep the connection to the children going through this interesting time that we're living through. It'll come to an end, I know it, and uh, we'll do what we've been doing, just like we did a few minutes ago, and keep praying. Uh, as we heard, too, also in our prayer time, there's an election Tuesday. Anyone surprised? I don't think so, right? I've been hearing about it for months and weeks, and uh, I've used this before. I want to talk about it a little bit, the, um, the election with uh, the entrance of God's word. It's important. And I've used this quote before, but I want to repeat it. It's about elections. And it reads like this. Another election. Much of good in both its near and remote results we look for. Nevertheless, we're not to overlook its many baleful influences and its wide havoc of virtue and happiness. We are again passing through the great quadrennial demoralization, which sinks into a lower deep tens of thousands of drunkards, which turns into drunkards, tens of thousands of the sober, which makes tens of thousands of new liars, and makes worse tens of thousands of old ones, which cheapens sincerity and simplicity by putting high prices upon intrigue and dishonesty, which puts falsehood for truth and darkness for light and makes ten appeals to passion and prejudice when it makes one to reason. We affirm that this is the general character of a presidential election. A presidential election frightfully lowers the standard, the standard of morality pours tides of wickedness through all ranks and classes and preys fatally with its rampant vices on numberless bodies and numberless souls. And that's pretty scathing. And it sounds to me like someone could have written that today or yesterday. It was definitely written in November, but not November 2020. It was written in November of 1860, 160 years ago, by a man named Garrett Smith. And Smith was a wealthy New York businessman. He was a philanthropist, and he was a passionate, outspoken abolitionist. He wrote these words that you just heard regarding the presidential election of 1860, which was a four-way race. The parties were or at least the dominant parties, were the Republican, the Democrat, the Southern Democrat, and the Constitutional Union. And those parties had their candidates, Abraham Lincoln, Stephen Douglas, John Breckinridge, and John Bell. Smith himself, he was nominated to a fifth party. He was nominated as the presidential candidate for what was called the Liberty Party. And as I said, he was passionate about ending slavery. It had been an issue in the preceding presidential elections. And now 
the country at that time, it was going down the dark road toward a civil war that was going to cost 620,000 lives. So Smith puts out this, this, uh, these words about an election, and, and they're scathing. He calls it the quadrennial demoralization. How's that for looking forward to an election? We're just going to get demoralized. Honesty is going to go down. Dishonesty is going to go up. And he might have written and told us that the election of 1860 was the most important election in the history of the United States. And perhaps it was at that time. Passions were high. They're always high when it comes to an election season. But I'll tell you what, this year, in my lifetime, I don't think I've seen them as high as they are right now. Since coming to the church full-time, this is my fifth presidential election. And I will say that my email box, my mailbox, my text messages, my phone messages, people just coming right up and giving me their uh, opinions, it's been way higher than ever before. And it's all about who's going to be the president. You know, the good news is you've got a choice. The good news is you can vote. And you have a voice. And you have a say. I looked at the, the ballot. There's six parties on the ballot. And you can vote for the candidate of any one of those six parties. And if you don't like any of them, you, you've got your option to put in the person you, seem, you see fit. You have the option to choose. Who will you choose? I'd like to dive into a biblical example of a great election and use it as as an example for you all this morning. But I can't find one. I look through the the word of God. I look through scripture. I can't find a, a real outstanding example of an election. An election like we do. There just doesn't, they're just not there. In the Old Testament, the people were led by leaders that were appointed by God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, on through the entire book of Judges, and then the kings. The people wanted a king. The book of Judges ended, the people wanted a king. Well, God gave them a king. God selected the king. There are a few examples of of choosing in the Bible, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses recalls how he asked the people to choose leaders. He had done that, and he's just looking back a little, Deuteronomy 1.13, where he had said, choose some wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. That's all we get, though. There aren't any details of how these men were nominated, how they were selected, And after Moses was Joshua. Joshua once asked for 12 men to be selected, one from each tribe of Israel. And again, we don't learn how they were selected. There's an election of sorts in the New Testament, Acts chapter 6. The 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, they're leading this fledgling church, and it's growing. It's growing to the thousands and thousands. And they needed help, so they asked for the church to choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom to serve as deacons. Now, there was requirements laid out for these men that they would be full of the spirit and they'd be wise 
We have the requirements. We don't know how they were chosen. Another example is in Acts chapter 1, where Peter called for the replacement of Judas, the Judas who had betrayed Jesus. The 12, as they were known, was down to 11. So Peter put out the requirements for the position. Someone who had been with them since the beginning, since the time of John the Baptist, following Jesus Christ, and someone who was a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Two men were nominated. One was Joseph, who was also known as Justice, and the other one was Matthias. Now here we have an example of how these men were selected. There was a vote. They all voted, no, that's not what happened. No, they cast lots, whatever that is. They cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added as number 12. The 11 were now back to 12. So what is this casting lots? Well, we saw it in the Treehouse video. It's like flipping a coin, a rolling dice. Or maybe there's some colored rocks in a jar, and they reached in and pulled out a rock or a stone. One maybe had a Matthias, and one had a Justice. We don't know exactly. All we know is that they drew lots. Maybe there were straws, and the longest straw was, we don't know. It was a random selection, so to speak, at least to to us and our human nature, it was random. But when lots were cast in the Bible, you can read about the Old Testament. There's often times where lots were cast for certain things. But when a lot was cast and, and there was an outcome, the conclusion was that God Almighty had directed it. So that was God's selection. So the lot fell to Matthias, and the conclusion was, The Lord selected him. God had directed the outcome. The belief was, and it is, that God's hand is involved in establishing all authority. And we're reminded by the New Testament Apostle Paul of this. Romans 13, verse number 1. Paul wrote, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Not someone Not a few people. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now Paul went on to write things about taxes and you should pay your taxes. And if you owe something to pay it. He was talking about all authority. It's an example. Another example that God's sovereignty is behind all authority. Recall when Jesus stood before Pilate, who was the merciless and cruel Roman governor. Pilate said to Jesus, you refuse to speak to me. Don't you realize I have the power to set you free or crucify you? And how did Jesus respond? This is how Jesus replied. John 19, 11. Jesus answered Pilate, You would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Wow. The power that Pilate had to set Jesus free or crucify him was given from above. Good or evil, righteous or unrighteous, just or unjust. God sets authorities in place. That's how it was from the beginning. God selected Abraham. 
and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and all the judges and all the kings. There was no voting by the people. When the people were called to make a choice, it was not really about who was going to lead the nation. It was about who was going to lead their life, who was going to lead their very soul, if you will. And it was a life or death choice. In the opening of Deuteronomy, Moses had reminded the people that he had asked, choose some men from all the tribes, and I'll set them as leaders. That's, I read that just a few minutes ago. But at the end of Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is, is Moses, he's just recalling everything that occurred before he was going to pass away and transition leadership. And at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses challenged the people to choose. And this is what This is how he put it. Deuteronomy 30, it's 19 to 20. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. Life and death choice. Choose life. And to choose life is to choose the Lord. Because how did Moses put it? The Lord is your life. Now after he had died, after Moses died, Joshua led the people. And when Joshua's life was nearing the end, he did something similar than Moses did. He recalled everything. Joshua was 110 years old. And he put the same choice before the people. Life and death. He put it a little bit differently. Joshua 24, 15. Joshua said to the people, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He'd made his choice. And he put before the people the same life and death choice. False gods, destruction, or the one true God. Now Moses and Joshua, they didn't really seem to care so much about how they were viewed as leaders. Now they had their fair share of rebellion. People rebelled against Moses. They didn't care for his leadership. And Joshua had his issues. What did they do? Did they call on the people to follow their leadership or to follow the Lord? After Joshua came all, all the judges and Joshua and Moses had said, follow the Lord. But through, through the time of the judges, the people fell away. The last judge was Samuel and the people complained to him. Oh, Samuel, you and your sons are terrible leaders. We don't like you. Well, they didn't want judges anymore. They said, give us a king. You guys are awful leaders. We want a king like all the people around us. Give us a king. Well, Samuel, he was down in the dumps. He was dismayed. 
And he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said this to Samuel. It's 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. The Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Now, this was an election of sorts. It was, it was a referendum at the time. The people were united. They decided. They held this referendum. We don't want Samuel. We don't want his sons. We want a king. We want a new form of government. And God gave them a king. God selected the king. And then what happened? An awful lot of trouble followed. See, the will of the people prevailed. The will of the people prevailed. That didn't mean it went well for them, did it? Our leaders, they also come to lead by the will of the people. We have a choice. We have a vote. But when we choose who we choose, is it possible? Is it possible that like the Israelites in our choice, we're rejecting God in the process? When we choose who we choose, are we rejecting God? And what do I mean by that? Are we weighing God's word? Are we weighing his way against who we vote for? And not just who we vote for, but what policies they espouse and what they stand for and what their party stands for. Are we being faithful to God when we make that decision, when we make that choice? Now, there is no doubt, and we must understand that as Christians seek to be faithful to God, they're going to vote differently. And I'll tell you what, I know that. I have been told more than once this election season, how could that anybody vote for that person? And it's pointing at that person and that person. It's not pointing at the same person. I have well-meaning, sincere Christians saying, how could someone vote for that? And it's not always one way. Christians who seek to be faithful to God, they come to different conclusions. In Romans chapter 14, Paul writes about decisions that are a matter of conscience. And he calls them disputable matters. Now what he's writing about is what we eat, what days we celebrate, things like that. Sincere Christians differ on these things. And he says, that's okay. But don't argue about it. Don't disagree about these, uh, or, or you can disagree about these disputable matters, but don't be quarreling about it. Don't let it divide. So, you know, we're not all going to decide on the, the same thing when we seek to be faithful to the Lord. But I'll say seek him sincerely. Don't reject him in your vote. Paul was writing about days and food. I think our selection of who leads us is a little bit different probably a little bit more important than choosing ham or corned beef. 
Remember the words of the Lord to Samuel. It's not you they have rejected, Samuel, but it's me that they've rejected as their king. How, how does our divine, eternal king, the sovereign of the whole universe, how does he align with who we choose? How can we even know? Well, we have the word of God. We have the word of God. And may our consciences be informed by not just reason, but let our conscience be informed by the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that my vote's cast for a failable person. It's cast for a failable human being. No one meets the standard of God perfectly. No one can. But I want to compare what I'm going to vote for with the word of God. And again, not just the candidate, but the candidate's policies and the party and the platform and everything that they stand for them. Everything that they're going to represent in the office. I can hold these things up to the light of God's word. What does God's word say? It says things like God gives life and God takes life. God's over life. Death and life are in the hands of God. Deuteronomy chapter 32, 1 Samuel 12, Psalm 139, they speak about life. These are some great passages of the word of God that we can look at and say, well, how, how am I going to translate that to my vote? They can be applied to things like abortion and euthanasia and capital punishment. We can look to the word of God about all these topics and say, okay, how's that line up with my decision? The word of God is also clear that God established man and woman and he established established family, right? God established husband and wife who become mom and dad or dad and mom. And Jesus reinforced marriage and family. Genesis chapter three, that's where God said, You know, therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh, a man and a woman. Matthew 19, Mark 10, Luke 14, this is Jesus reinforcing that. In Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul reinforces exactly the same thing. So family, the authority of parents, you know, children, obey your parents. Parents, raise up your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord that we already talked about this morning. And don't, don't provoke your children to wrath. All of this is about parents and family. And family is central to God's word. So what are the candidates and the policies and the positions of the people that I'm going to vote for? Is it for the strength of the family or is it a policy towards the dissolution of the nuclear family and toward the, toward the redefinition of family and marriage? I can hold up God's word to that and make my choice. God stands for truth and he hates lies. Now, examples abound in scripture about that. Proverbs 6 is a great place where it, in Proverbs 6 it says, uh, there, are, there are six things the Lord hates and seven that are detestable to him. And then there's the, the, a list, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed blood, hearts that deceive, wicked schemes, uh, feet that are quick to rush to evil, false witnesses. Wow, lies, really? False witnesses that pour out lies. Certainly, there's none of that going on in a presidential election. A person who stirs up conflict in the community. 
God, God hates these things. God desires righteous judges, Isaiah chapter 10. God wants honesty in business dealings. Leviticus 19 talks about honest scales and weights. You know, God wants treaties that are made to be treaties that are kept. That's Amos chapter 1. So again, the word of God is full of all these things that we can look to and say, well, how am I going to cast my vote? Who am I going to choose? And the point is that the word of God informs us in so many areas on how to best stand with God. Even though we're putting something out for an infallible person, how we might best stand with God and not reject him in our decision, in our choice for that failable person. So this is what I say to you for Tuesday. And if you already voted, I pray it was with you. May the, God, may the word of God speak to you in your decision. I pray it already has if you've made those decisions. But may the word of God and the Holy Spirit inform your heart for your decision. And you know what? Come Wednesday or Thursday, or whenever, or months from now, whenever the election's decided, because who knows? Remember Romans 13.1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So come what may, God's in it. God's hand's in it. And let's do as we did earlier and continue to pray. Continue to pray. Let's take time right now to celebrate communion. And as we prepare, I want to remind you that communion, the word communion, it's common union. Common union. Do we have a common union in the church? Because I'll tell you what, lately I feel like Man, people are at loggerheads. And there's division about all of this. And people are putting others out of their lives because of their choice in an election. They don't want to talk to them anymore. They don't want to deal with them. And that's happening even in Christian circles. But we have a common union. Let's celebrate the common union. We might not see eye to eye with everyone when it comes to elections and politics, but we have the common union in Jesus. Can we celebrate that? Can we celebrate that communion, that common union? We often read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 before a communion service. We don't often reference what Paul wrote preceding his instruction on communion. Does anyone know what it's about? It's about division. First Corinthians 11, he writes, and I, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Wow. And he says, to some extent, I believe it. Let's not have division. Talk reasonably, civilly. If you don't think someone is making a decision based on the word of God, talk to them about it. Don't call them names. Don't tell them they're, they're this or that because they're going to cast their vote. Say, hey, how did you arrive at that decision? 
Maybe we could talk about it and actually talk. Not have this division and tearing down. Talk about our common union. Before we leave, let's pray. We already prayed for elections and the nation. How about we pray for each other? That we would truly be guided by God's word. That we would use his word as a, as a guide for our decision. And not just this decision for Tuesday. But for all of our decisions. That we would be people who would look to, to the Lord and everything and not reject him. Yes, I know we fail, of course. I fail. And I need to continue to look into that word of God and say, Lord, help me where I failed and I went wrong. and Show me how I can better follow you in your way. I can never be done seeking. I can never be done searching more. I can never be done asking. I, I don't have it all all figured out exactly. And if I ever think I do, that's when I'll do the face plant and be humbled. Let's pray that the word informs us, guides us in all that we do. God, thank you for your direction and your word. Oh, Lord, may we never be people who reject you and reject your way. God, may we never hear the words. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. God, you're our king. You're our Lord. You're our creator. You've given us breath in our lungs and everything that we have on this earth. Help us to never, ever turn and reject you in any decision that we make. And Lord, for this decision on Tuesday, I know many have already made it. I pray that your word has burned in them. And God, if it hasn't, I pray that it does. And Lord, for any of us who, who have yet to pull the lever or make that decision, Lord, may your word guide us, direct us, be our navigator, Lord. Show us the best and the, 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 the truth and the way that we should walk. Thank you, God. Thank you. May we be receptive. May our hearts be open. Lord, if we're struggling with someone else, if we're struggling with someone who might have made a different decision and we don't like it and we want to disparage them, God, forgive us and help us to open up a channel of communication and to speak about your word and to show each other the truth in your word. God, I pray that this church would be united, not divided. I pray that the Holy Spirit would gather our hearts together. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be that rock beneath us, that we would stand firm, united, come what may on Wednesday. Lord, that we are in our union and our bond with Jesus. And may the world see it, God. Help us to not be a divided place. Lord, may we not be like the Corinthians that Paul said, I hear there's divisions among you. God, may it be that people say, I hear there's unity there. Can I be a part of it? How can I be a part of it? Jesus, help us. Help all of us. 
to embody that and exemplify it. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for all your faithful people who are searching your word, God, praying, asking for the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you. And if we need help in that, help us. Now bless your people. Father God, I pray that you would bless them. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious unto them. God, lift up your countenance, your smiling face upon each one and grant them peace. We need it, God. We need that peace that passes understanding to keep us, God, to guard our hearts, to show us and guide us in your way. May we be people that walk in your way peaceably in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.